when an auditor comes through and it's like, hey, and hey, you know, Fleet, here's some other things we actually found. We noticed that, you know, that there was a group of people and this is how they got access. And it seemed to be different than what you prescribed or they, they did some workarounds, et cetera. And it often is, you know, individuals inside the company just trying to get their job done. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast. That was Frederick Lee, a.k.a. Flea. Chief Security Officer and Head of IT at Gusto and co-host of the Security and Compliance Weekly podcast. It's a live video podcast over at Security Weekly. Flea is joined by Jeff Mann, host of that show, and Notorious InfoSec Curmudgeon. We're also joined by Kat Valentine, Security and Compliance Weekly co-host. Why so many folks from another show? Because last week they were kind enough to invite me over to their show for a crossover episode. And I thought I'd return the favor and invite them on down to the ranch to complete the conversation. For those who missed the show, it's available online at Security Weekly, and I'll summarize it here. We covered GRC, what and so what. We thought today we'd complete the conversation and talk about GRC, now what. Last week, we talked about GRC teams as leaders versus them being marginalized. We talked about the distinct roles in the various organizations of GR and C, and the fact that in some shops, it should really be RGC, putting risk first. But in others that are heavily regulated, it might actually lead with the C. We talked about a few metaphors and analogies and some other good stuff, too, that's worth checking out. But I thought we'd carry the conversation forward today. I think you'll enjoy this conversation as much as we are. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. So let's pick it up from where we left off, and I'll just fire off some questions, and you guys just kind of pounce on these as you as you have good answers. Uh, so the first question is the cultural barriers. You know, we've got a now what? So we've got our GRC. We've decided what GRC is. We've decided what the priorities are. We've decided what the order of operation is. And now we're trying to get the overall organization on board with GRC. So what are what are the tips and tricks for implementing GRC culturally? I would say like one of the first tips and tricks that I like to apply is, is just going being straightforward with people and explaining to them how this actually benefits them, right? Like how does this actually benefit them and their business unit and the company overall? You know, like one of the things that I think a lot of people have this misconception of is they kind of view GRC as like being internal cops. It's the exact opposite. I, I like to think of the analogy more as the GRC team is actually being like your internal personal trainer. Right. Like oh, we can actually one. tell you and we can say, hey, I, I noticed the behavior that you're doing. If you did X, Y and Z, you actually will get better results. Things will be more secure. You'll have less friction with customers. You can do better with sales um, by actually just going through this stuff. We can even help you just improve your processes overall. One of the things I think a lot of people forget about, especially those that are in um, engineering first type companies uh, that are you know heavy tech, is that GRC often helps with process improvement that allows companies to actually deliver software better, more quickly, and with more confidence. And that has nothing to do with regulators. It is purely about internal like process improvement and benefits. And, and when you can actually articulate to people that GRC is there to help, and not only to help protect them, but also help accelerate them, they will dive into your organization. They will bend over backwards to help out um, because then they actually really understand that you are there to help with a business need and you're there to help make their lives easier as opposed to being there to slow them down or being there to make them actually fill out a bunch of questionnaires. So th th that's my big tip is to figure out how to make GRC win and work for other teams. 
I love the personal training metaphor, man. That is the, that is awesome. That's that's exactly it. Like, hey, we're here to help you put down the put down the Snickers and get on the bench. You know, yeah. like let's let's do a few lifts here. We're all going to get through this together. That's brilliant, man. I saw that as his uh, first attempt at trying to get the quotable quote for the show. Personally, mm, <laughs> it's a strong lead. I have to admit, it's a strong it lead. Is. That might yeah. be the quotable shots quote. shots fired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mostly echo, you know, what Flea says. I've never been in a GRC role, but I've worked with many GRC groups in my days as a QSA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even before that, you know, coming in in the early days to companies where they didn't have a program in place and trying to explain to them why security is important, why you want to worry about stuff. You know, it, it, there, there's a certain win your hearts and minds kind of approach to this thing, you, you know, and it's it, it can be a hard sell. I go to a lot of companies even to this day where GRC is just kind of t- stuck off in a corner and, you know, they're the ones that are collecting all the materials and, and you know, for the countless audits, the audit audit of the week exercise and, and you know, all the, all the important people that are doing all the work in the trenches and, and whatnot would you know, I think they understand that that the the GRC group is doing them a service, but you wouldn't know it for talking to them. Uh, so I, I think part of it, part of the the nut to crack is you know, winning the hearts and minds. Beyond that, getting people to understand, uh, to echo what Flea said, that you know this stuff can help you if if you treat it right. Uh, and if you look at it f- from the proper perspective, it's it's going to make your job easier. It's going to enable you to do your job better. And, and, you know, you might even get budget and tools and things that you have been yeah. wishing that you could get, but weren't able to figure out, uh, you know, th- the right justification for it. Right. Yeah. Anytime you can align the security needs that, you know, if GRC is there to prove up you're doing X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z happen to coincide with this thing you've been trying to get done. Oh, yes. <laughs> GRC can get you the budget to get that thing done. That's lovely. So, Kat, what, what's your take on this? It kind of mirrors and kind of doesn't. I try to go into a business, whether whether that be as a, as a uh, free agent, you know, doing a gig for them uh, that's compliance related or as, say, uh, taking a new full-time role. And I try to hang back and see what that company's, their their perceived needs and what their real needs are as well. And what their, what their culture even is and try to fit in with their culture, not shove compliance into their culture, if that makes sense. Right. Sure. Sure. And, and out here in the Bay, I would say that there's a, a lot of different cultures uh, company cultures out here. So you need to be a little more flexible. Like there's a, how you approach a startup versus a, a, a normal startup, uh, a B2B startup, a FinTech startup, even just these little different startups uh-huh. versus like a, a financial institution or a hospital or, or even like a, like a major company like Salesforce or something like that, which it is a tech company, but it's at a much grander scale. It's super different. Right. It's super different. So I try to, hang back a little first, kind of see what the cultural vibe is and what the different teams needs are too, because sometimes that could be a bit siloed. Mm -hmm. And uh, usually how I kind of see it is, is compliance and security. Both those concepts can be the glue to put a lot of those things together, especially in a like business needs way. And they might, these different groups, engineering groups, business groups, et cetera, they might not even realize the processes and things like that. That could be created with, with following a regiment. 
I like that. Nobody mentioned the other magic trick uh, of GRC culturally. Talk to your head of sales. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Sales teams love GRC professionals. Mm-hmm. And, and, and part of it is, is, is because we know that, you know, if a company is actually buying something. So, for example, if somebody wants to do business with Gusto and they want to buy something from Gusto, they want to interact with us or partner with us, especially larger corporations, they often want to see and know about our security posture. Yep. And if you have a good GRC program, getting those deals with, you know, mega corporations like Google or Walmart or Amazon is so much easier. And you just yeah. make the sales team's lives so much better. And, and you know, we talked about this previously in, in the last show, uh, in the crossover show, our show, uh, SCW. You know, we talked about this, this idea that GRC fundamentally is about telling the story of a security program. Yep. And, and, you know, one of the great things about that is that now you have all this collateral and it makes it even easier to share with customers, potential customers, um, prospects, e- even people you might even want to hire. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Storytelling is so valuable. And I think that's what Kat's alluding mm-hmm. to, too, is it's not just storytelling, it's story reading, too. Reading. Kat's walking mm-hmm. in and reading the story before sharing hers, right? You, you're, you're writing a chapter in a book and you need to know the theme of that book before you add your chapter. I think it just goes a lot smoother yeah. that way. You're not coming in hot. You're not coming in scary. You're coming in to help, and it's made abundantly clear. Yep. You know, if you're <clears throat> if you're coming in in that kind of in that kind of collaborative and wait and see yep. kind of manner, but don't wait and right. see too long. Now, to Flea's point, he's talking about compliance is the best friend of sales, right? And yes, absolutely. Here's our SOC two. Here's our mm-hmm. ISO twenty seven thousand one. Here's our you just know, slide them across the table. Slide them across the table. Slide them across the table. Sales loves that and eats that up. Meanwhile, the CISO is sitting here with a SOC 2 and an ISO 27001 and a a whatever and a whatever and a whatever. And they're all stacked up on his or her desk, right? So there she is, the CISO, and she says to herself, what can I do with this? I'm not sales. I'm the CISO. What am I doing with this? How do I, you know, every CISO, and this is just my personal experience, what I've seen is I've gone upstairs and I've reported on where I think the real security is. And I've reported on where the funding is and where, what, what, you know, budget stuff is going on. And I've reported upstairs as a side note on our compliance. And you want to brag about your compliance. We just achieved the following three certifications this quarter. And and at some point, somebody upstairs always has the savvy to ask, well, if we've achieved all of those over there, why are you over here saying that we're not secure? And what's the story? What's the disconnect, right? So my next question for you guys, and, and we'll go, we'll start with Jeff and we'll just go Hollywood Square style here on my screen. What is the CISO to do with that compliance data? How does the CISO turn compliance data into actionable results of the security program when sometimes the more compliance data you have, the harder it is to even explain that you still need more security, right? There's a gotcha there. So what's, what's your take on that one, Jeff? I started thinking about this with something that Kat said a few minutes ago. One of the things that I think is a potential you can do with this data and, and I'm, I'm making a, I've never been a CISO, so I'm making a little bit of a leap here and correct me if I'm off base, but you know, in, in my role as a, an outsider assessor coming in, I very often, by the end of the engagement or even just spending a week on site with a company, doing much the same thing that the cat was describing earlier, just sort of just observing and just seeing how people do things, do their job and all that kind of stuff. I would end up with a better view than any individual group, not that they were necessarily siloed, mm-hmm. But, you know, very often people are just, you know, they're, they got their heads down trying to do their job, trying to pay attention to what they have to do. And security very often is 
something that's just frankly not on their minds, especially develop, you know, many developers, admins, DBAs, and so on and so forth. You would think that it'd be on their minds, but beyond the compulsory training, having to sign off on, they've read a policy once a year, that type of thing. They, they don't always appear mm-hmm. to be thinking about it, but you get talking to them. And very often, you know, if, if you can, if you can ask the question the right way, they're very concerned and they want to do better and they do want to do the right thing. So I think perhaps in a CISO role where you're the consumer of the reports that I submit as an assessor, you're getting hopefully, uh, because if I've done my job, well, a more holistic view, and, and if nothing else, maybe a glimpse of, oh, we, we might have a, going back to your cultural problem, we might have some issues with mm. silos, and we might need to have some, you know, it's an opportunity. We always like to put the positive spin on it, but there's an opportunity to get people to play together, work together, you know, maybe have a, an encounter group, just a, you know, a brainstorming session, bring it, bring together representatives of the various silos and say, Hey, we've got a problem. Here's the data we have. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it, everybody in isolation is or isn't doing their job, but together it's somehow falling short. And I think that's part of the message that CISOs need to be able to, to take up upstream to, to the boards is, you know, in isolation with a very myopic view, depending on what lens we're looking through, whether it's SOC this week or, or uh, ISO or PCI yeah. or HIPAA or whatever it is, very few organizations that I've worked with take a holistic view or take the opportunity to put it all together, other than they want to repeat all the evidence that they've collected and reuse right. it for you know any, any number of audits throughout the cycle. The evidence pile, slide it across the table. It's the auditor. <laughs> right. So Kat, what do you think? Also myself too. I haven't been a CISO, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but I have been like the compliant, the compliance director for Westfield, like malls and whatnot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, there is actually a lot of stuff you can do with some of this, this data. Um, these compliance programs are meant to be, It's uh, most of them are meant to be uh, not just like a one-time check, but you should mm-hmm. be doing the things in your compliance and security program all the time, right? And so usually, and usually at that, uh, that level, you are, uh, as that compliance director, checking to make sure that that is <laughs> how things are going. Right uh, and whatnot, and one of I think one of your one of the big core things that one in that position needs to do is to be, and they need to have the freedom to do this too, is to surface this stuff to not just uh, their CISO and so that they can surface it up the business. That's a given, but also they should have working relationships with the other uh, engineering, marketing, this, that, the third, to where they can like the ideal is to bring. Uh, maybe po- problems and patterns that you've detected mm-hmm. by doing uh, monitoring to those groups to kind of uh, come together and, and solve a problem, whether that be a process problem or, or even, or a security problem, or even just an automation problem. I've, I've seen a lot of stuff. If you're doing these checks, you see, you see a lot of yeah. ways that you can improve the business, even past security stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've got two really solid views of gathering it in the field and reporting it up. And now it's landed on your desk, Flea. What are you going to do with it? Yeah, yeah, I have had the fortune of actually being a CISO. Always grateful for it. And one of the things you mentioned, Alan, 
It's like, oh, you know, like, kind of like the, that separation between like, hey, here are the things I'm actually talking to the board about what we want to do to improve security. And oh, mm-hmm. by the way, here are all these compliance, uh, you know, certifications and, and, and good wins that we actually have had. And yes, there actually is, there, there's a Delta. Um, yeah. But Delta is actually great um, because it allows you as a CISO to one, actually re-examine what's on your roadmap and say, hey, you know, are there things that actually showed up in a SOC 2 as an exception or something that actually popped up in a PCI report or something like that, that, hey, maybe I didn't think about it properly and maybe I should, you know, have a conversation about changing trajectory and maybe improving things. Um, the other thing that I always like to remind, especially like other execs and board members, et cetera, is that a compliance certification is a baseline. Um, yeah. And like the, the analogy I like to give to people is, you know, C students graduate just like A students do, right? Right. And, and, and so just because, you know, we have a SOC 2, and, and in particular, you know, when you think about these, some of these other compliances where you talk about scope and you determine the scope, yeah. where, you know, the compliance isn't initially actually telling the full story of your risk exposure and your security program, um, but it actually gives opportunities to dive deeper into maybe some elements that, that you either hadn't considered or even better things that you didn't have full insight into. So when you get people such mm-hmm. as Kat and Jeff that actually come into your organizations, one of my favorite things that they do is that they, they interview non-security people, right? Yes. So, 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 so just because I think that things are doing well and that everything's actually going, you know, you know, phenomenally, my security thing, team thinks things are going well. Well, if the auditor goes by and, and you know, interviews my, my head of DevOps or interviews the head of IT, they might get different answers. And those different answers are, are, are likely true. And right. so, well, well, what do I as a CISO need to do now to change my reality so it actually reflects the full reality of what's actually going on in the organization? So, so I, I, I like the idea of actually using those compliance reports to help drive some convergence there. And to really start thinking, it's like, hey, well, what are things that I missed in my original roadmap? And maybe there's some things in that compliance report that I want to pull out and, and elevate more. Um, or are there things in the compliance report that I actually want to talk to the board and say, like, hey, yeah, we passed this. But here's some some concerns that actually were flagged. And maybe we should actually do some additional right. investment here. Um, right, so, so right, you right. know, like the, the report is really just, you know, that minimum bar. Everybody should actually be wanting to exceed that minimum bar. And that's also how you help navigate that conversation with other stakeholders that might confuse having a certification as meaning that you are completely secure and there's no risk. I love that. And that's um, that's great because you, you guys all three just said you, you just told the same story. You, you yep. did, all three of you. Like you you passed it from here to here to here and it was it was the same narrative consistent and throughout. And that's, that's phenomenal. That's exactly how it should be. And it's, I, I see now why you guys make such a good team on your show. <laughs> I want to take what uh, Flea said and just go a little bit further. Uh, I mean, I, I have my best results and my best results getting to the truth and, 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 you know, finding out what is and isn't happening, not by talking to the managers of all the other non-security teams. It's, but they always come to the first meeting but with with PCI, there's always a shoulder surfing sampling uh, exercise from, for some yep. number of systems later on. Sometimes the manager shows up for that. Sometimes they don't. But you know, sometimes the sometimes the worker bees are there with the manager in the initial meeting, but they don't say a word because their manager's there. Get the manager away. And then I can sit back and say, okay, what's really going on? <laughs> tell, tell me, you know what the, you know where all the skeletons are. I'm here to help, you know, share with me and, and let's make this happen. Because trust me, if I say it's a problem, you're going to get what you want. Happens all the time. 
Yep. No, I get that. And that, that whole, it's so funny the the fear of the auditor is, is the, is the counter to that, right? Like yep. you, you get that one, even when the manager's not in the room, they're just like, hur, 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 and they won't say anything. Well, and there's tricks to that too. I mean, uh, you know, and I'm not always playing, but you know, I, I, I act stupid, you know, tell me about your job. Oh, what do you do? Oh, you're a this. What does that, you know, what does that involve? What does that mean? Show me what you do. I'm not looking for anything in particular. Just walk me through your daily activities. I've got my eyes open and I'm looking for stuff, but man, you you can get people talking all day long. If you just prop them up a little bit, compliment them a little bit, act like you're interested in what they do Mm because they hate their job. Most of the time it's (laughs) mundane and and they, you know, they'd much rather be, you know, I'll put it in 2021 terms on social media or, you know, whatever. Um, but man, pay attention to them and they'll spill their guts. And sometimes you're finding out they're doing really good things. And right. more often than not, they're like, oh, there's a little slight issue there. And and the the, the book end of that is I never want to get them in trouble. I never want to report yeah. back and say this person here, pff, you need to right. like, give them some remedial training. But, uh, right. you know, that's just a... You know, that's a, a, you know, a people skill that hopefully I think I've learned over the years of just trying to, how to, you know, how do, how do you manage the findings, especially the really ugly findings? Right. Even as internal uh, security, and especially if I'm like, let's say starting a new internal security and compliance role, I almost do like a gap assessment and uh, it, even within the uh, organization. And I kind of do a divide and conquer almost where I'll talk to the manager of that group. But then I also want to talk to an individual contributor to see how things really are going with their job day to day, because there's a lot of stuff that I almost shadow them for like a day, because there's a lot of stuff that might that might get missed that they don't have that individual that I see doesn't have the uh, uh, the security mindset, but they might be doing something that that uh, maybe inserting a credit card in a weird way somewhere, you know. Like they might be doing something that's a little, a little wacky, you know, that you want to catch. And if you get at that level where you're, where you're interviewing and observing an individual contributor, as well as like their, their manager, Mm -hmm. you can also kind of, for me, I politically figure out real quick if that manager is going to be a partner with me or not on on security initiatives, or if I need to put in a little more work. You know, in in making friends and influencing people, right? Yep. Yep. All right. What do you think of all that, Flea? All all of that make makes sense to me, and actually, I love it. I, I love the tactic, and um, and and it's and there's nothing nefarious about it at all. I mean, the reality is is that um, you know, and and, and maybe I'm shaming you know my fellow pointy haired bosses or, or fellow <laughs> you know no, no hair bosses. But but as, as a manager, as a leader, whatever, you're never are going to be you're never going to have all the in-depth details. And and oftentimes when you actually get that chance for somebody to come by and actually talk to some of those individual contributors and especially in other departments, et cetera, they can actually show things that I want to know about. Um, and, and, and so, like, I love it uh, when an auditor comes through and it's like, hey, and hey, you know, Fleet, here's some other things we actually found. We noticed that you know, that there is a group of people and this is how they got access. And it seemed to be different than what you prescribed or they they Mm. did some workarounds, et cetera. And it often is, you know, individuals inside the company just trying to get their job done and they're doing it as best as they can with the tools that they have. And by that auditor coming through and actually having those conversations and conversations that I don't normally get to have, 
um, then they can actually say, hey, Flea, here's something you missed. Here's something that actually can be improved upon. Um, I I, I would love it if more and more people got excited when auditors showed up. Um, And and, and I do think that that we in the industry have a opportunity to actually change that. Auditors are like everybody's best friend. Um, and, And they're in particular my best friend because I know that if I go through a good rigorous audit that leaves me beat up, it reduces the likelihood that I'm going to be testifying in front of Congress, right? Because like, <laughs> and that, that's a very real thing. Like I, I want to know right. about these things early, and by having the, that, that neutral third party that can come in, and that's the other great thing about you know GRC professionals is they are often um, one, especially the external ones, but even internal ones. They build the skill of staying neutral and objective. So yeah. as they see, so and you probably can appreciate this, Alan. Um, we can get tunnel vision about what we think are the problems. Whereas somebody like Jeff or Kat shows up, they're like, oh, Kat will come in and she's like, no, no, Flea, this is your problem. This is one of the things that you need to deal with. Here are all the things right. that I saw. Here's, you know, here's some examples of the kind of things I walked through. And, and so for me, that the, the tactic that, that uh, you know, Kat and Jeff are talking about is super powerful, super valuable, and we need more yep. people in the industry, you know, applying that. And, and, and you know, Yes, there's going to be some people in the room that might have fancy titles, but often it's the people without the fancy titles that are really going to give you the real truth. All right, I'm going to pause this right there for a quick word from our sponsor. You're in charge of cybersecurity at your company, but do you really know what's going on with your security controls? And are they actually working to keep you safe? The problem is when controls fail, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ the automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, better decisions, real security outcomes. That's Attack IQ. Check them out by visiting attackiq.com. And thank you, Attack IQ, for sponsoring this episode. I think that's a common thread with what all three of y'all have said, and I absolutely agree with it. The very first ISO audit I ever went through, ISO 27001, the very first audit I ever went through, we knew it was coming. We weren't, you know, it's like we were starting from nothing. First thing you do is start building all your policy docs. You get them all put together. You create your SMS. You get that posted. You know, you get all your stuff going. Then you start trying to implement the actual policies and, you know, all the stuff that you're doing, right? And you're scrambling to make it all happen. And then the auditors show up. And the auditor was in my office and we covered that CISO perspective. Oh, yes, I'm confident that we have this. And the auditor, I know for a fact, we And I did all that business, right? And then the auditor goes, okay, let's start. Let's start exploring a little more. And we walked out of my office and she walked two rows down the cubes, three cubes left, and just tapped a dude on the shoulder. Do you know where the security policy docs are? First question she asked, do you know where the security policy docs are? Now, we had just authored this entire body. Like we had had policies before, but this was our first time to like within the bounds of 27,001, let's do a true SMS. Let's get all this stuff. And we published to the whole company. This matters. This is so important. We got the audit coming and here's the stuff. And here's why you need to know it, learn it, live it, love it. And thank God. This guy goes, oh, yeah. Fired up the internet, you know, fired up the, the browser and went straight to it and walked him through and said, these are the policy. And like, and this was just a developer. And this person knew where everything was and knew what was, you know, like these are the laws to which I am beholden and I know where they are and how to consult them to do my day job. And the whole time I was just sitting there going, thank God, thank God, thank God. You know what I'm saying? Like happened to be two rows over and three cubes down. It could have been two and three instead of three and two. And I'd have been, you know, who knows where I would have been. But it was that moment of clarity that 
I can sit here and pretend as the CISO. It's, you know, to Flea's point, it's myopic. You know, myopic, I think, was the word that Jeff used. It's, um, it's easy for me to think we've got it all under control, and then that happenstance of that one person going, I don't know. I don't know where that stuff is. I'm just trying to do my job and write code over here. Like it's a whole nother story at the, at the street level. And, and I was so grateful that we passed in that sense and that they tapped somebody who did happen to know, but it told me I, I need to better educate everybody. I need to, I need to do a better job of pushing the good works of my team out to the entire general populace. Right. It was still a lesson learned for me. And I think that's the whole point of that. I want to, uh, I don't want to disparage anybody, any, any group, but I do want to provide a few cautionary points. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, I, I come from a DOD background, whole lot of people came from a DOD background, especially ex-military. Thank you all for your service. They end up in management and executive roles very often, especially if they're officers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in case you don't know it, part of military culture is you don't share the problems upstream. <laughs> so by the time yeah. the report gets up to the, the, you know, the base commander or the platoon commander, whoever it is, it's been pretty darn whitewashed. Um, they're not, you know, they're not accustomed to hearing problems or seeing problems because they're taken care of before it gets to them. And they're not accustomed to being challenged. Um, mm-hmm. The other uh, comment I would make is just in terms of auditors, you know, Flea almost called me an auditor. I don't, I don't answer to that. I'm an assessor. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, you know, most people call what I do an audit and I try to, I at least once try to explain to them what the difference is between an assessment and an audit, but even PCI has lost the vision, you know, the, the whole yeah. ecosystem has lost the vision of that. And it, it, it smells and feels and looks a whole lot more like an audit, but not all auditors are created equal. I have a mm-hmm. client right now that for, uh, the last several years had another, uh, QSA firm and, you know, not going to name names of course, um, that told them everything was hunky dory uh, and, uh. and, and provide them compliance. And I came in and, and, you know, started, uh, turning over the rocks and opening up the drawers and asking the probing questions. And lo and behold, let's just say they missed something. Uh, and now they're dealing with, Oh crap, what do we do? Cause it's, it's a pretty hefty, they missed something. Um, if there's a if there's a lessons learned in that, if there's a cautionary tale, it would be that if you're an organization that is looking to third party vendors to meet or satisfy any of your compliance requirements, mm. maybe a good idea to get a second opinion. Don't simply trust what the vendor is telling you is the truth and is the case, and what they're offering as a product or a solution is truly going to. Uh, uh, simplify your compliance requirement, make it go away, uh, ease your burden. These are all buzzword things that set me off when I see them in, in, in you know, print and in, you know, in the old days when we used to go to conferences and they'd be on the banners behind companies. I don't believe that de-scoping your environment is a security function. <laughs> it's a dodge. That's no, that's really good input. And, and everybody I noticed was nodding. All three of the rest of us yep. were all nodding as yep. you said it. It's, it's super important stuff. Uh, all right, guys. It's uh, we're we're about thirty minutes into the show here, so let's come up with one more round of thoughts. I was invited to hang out with a, an alumni online alumni group that I'm part of, and our invited speaker was actually a member of our group. But it's the gentleman that is has recently been named the the cyber czar for the United States. So he, his official title is national cyber director, a gentleman named nice. Chris, Chris Inglis. So, uh, you know, we got to hang out with him. You know, it was like 40 of us there. And 
he said something in in his sort of uh, you know off the cuff but very polished and very well re- rehearsed remarks. Um, he said something that was that I thought was kind of thought provoking, uh, and it and it and it goes back to you know, he he was referring to all of us and you know there was people there twenty years older than me that you know so. Uh, I was classically trained from a DOD perspective to learn about information security and the three, you know, very often it's the, the three legs of the stool, you know, that security is about people, process, and technology. He had a slightly different spin on it, and this is the, the, what, what got me thinking. He didn't refer to it as people, process, and technology. He referred to it as people, doctrine, and technology. Oh, interesting. And, you know, I, and, you know, got to Q and a time. I'm like, okay, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, what do you mean by process? I'm like, I asked you first. Oh, I forgot your NSA <laughs> management. You always dodge the question. Um, but basically I, I, to paraphrase where I think what I, what I was hearing him say about what he was coming from is he doesn't like to use the word process because that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, especially in terms of technical roles and you know developers mm-hmm. and things like that. So he just personally kind of steers away from that uh, that term that term in and of itself. But what he was getting at with the doctrine was making sure that people in an organization understand the roles and responsibility. Who's supposed to be doing what? And I'm like, okay, I can kind of get behind that. You know, it's a little bit semantic, but that's sort of. I, I believe that the the weakest link is not the technology. You know, our, our industry has you know beat that that horse to death over the last mm-hmm. 25, 30 years. We give lip service to people. Uh, you know, it, it sells a lot of uh, cyber awareness training classes, anti phishing campaigns, and things like that. But in my opinion, what is ultimately the weakest link, and what you know, every, every major breach you've ever heard about and the ones you haven't heard about is always a, it's a process failure. Mm-hmm. And I can see that being extended to it's a failure of people understanding their roles and responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and you know, this is for any of you, Alan included, you know, any thoughts on that? So I'll, I'll throw just one quick immediate response to that was process. We always have to remind ourselves as we go through, and it doesn't matter if you're an assessor, if you're an auditor, if you're a CISO, when we talk about process, we always have to remind ourselves of the golden rule that some processes are written down and some aren't, but we still lump it all together and call it process, right? Mm -hmm. And doctrine flips that. Doctrine says, nay, 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 this is what is intended. And there's a big difference there of intent to me is kind of a, a big distinction in those two words. That, that was my first reaction. Is there? A, did you infer then that doctrine is is written down? Yeah, okay. Doc, doctrine is mandate, right? Doctrine doctrine is what we consciously and willfully intend. Process is what we happen to do. I'm kind of I'm kind of on the fence because I interpreted it a little bit differently. I, I thought doctrine was more to be intended of how do you actually live. The, the, the processes like like what what is it when you know when rubber meets the road what actually occurs and and what is it culturally that people actually believe in and to some extent it's almost like what you do naturally mm. um you know at, at a high level when i think of doctrine yes doctrine should be written down but i would assume that doctrine is actually going to be short and pithy okay it's going to be like hey yep th- this is how we actually view the world this is how this is the lens that the company or the team or the group views the world through. And with that lens, if you are viewing the world through that lens, you're going to make certain decisions yeah. and you're going to have certain behaviors and actions around it. And 
oddly enough, doctrine and policy can actually deviate. Yes, yes. Um, and, and, and in particular, how people pursue um, policy. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in this idea of no aspirational policies. Um, but what you actually often see inside of companies is aspirational policies, meaning that, hey, somebody wrote something down before they even had the controls implemented. And say like, oh, hey, I'm going to write this down. And this is what we're going to do now because I wrote it down. Right. Whereas doctrine seems like it actually flips it on its head. It's like, oh, hey, what is it you're actually doing? Because right. right. th- that's your actual real you know, lived behavior. When you think about you know, doctrine from just the, the you know, military background and, and defense, it's actually like almost like credos and things like that. It's like, hey, what is it? What is your ultimate mission? How do we actually want to operate? Um, you don't necessarily have all of the rules written down for you, but you have this primary North Star that's kind of actually guiding you through. And that's what I think of when I hear of doctrine, just because it seems like it resonates more with people and they kind of, well, at least I thought they intrinsically understood what that meant, but obviously we have differing opinions on it. Right. Um, but but, but that, that's kind of like what I, I take away from it. And, and I, I love the idea of pushing more towards talking about people and doctrine as opposed to people in process. Yeah. Because doctrine also feels a little bit more permanent. Yep. Right. Yep. Like, 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 like doctrine is almost like you're articulating values to some extent. And those generally don't change. Your policies might change and they might actually change dramatically, in fact. But I would posit that your doctrine doesn't change or it rarely changes. So. I like your take on it better than mine. I'm going to go with your scratch everything I said. We're just going with what Flea said. <laughs> That might be another quotable quote. I think he's really he's trying. He's trying here to do the quotable quote for the show. Isn't he, he? he can have all the quotable quotes. That's fine with me. I am highly competitive. So if, if there there's a if there's a, there a bell to ring, I'm gonna to try to ring that bell as many times as possible. So. That's awesome. All right, Kat, any parting words for us on this topic or anything else? You get to close this up. Yeah, out. no, basically I wanted to um just, you know, for those for the risk topic, I just wanted to yep. throw out there a uh, uh, instead of doing the yearly annual risk uh, assessment by a third party kind of thing, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the risk register yep. and yep. training these different groups to throw something on the risk register themselves. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, you know, these different in, uh, individual contributors throw something on the risk register themselves. Don't be shy about it. No, you don't need to like give it a classification or whatever, we can go over it together. Um, but that way you're, you're creating a culture where they're surfacing those risks. And as long as risks are surfaced, you can really take off with that on what you need to prioritize and what you don't, you know? Yep. Full um, agreement so- there. Full agreement. So, all right. So risk register, everyone, everyone puts in. You get, you get the team that coordinates and works with them and teaches them, or maybe you just do it yourselves after the fact, whatever. But now we have a risk register that's actually got, you know, low, medium, high, critical, et cetera. You got all that balanced out. So now you have a stack of known risks. You've stack ranked them by criticality and it's compliance time. How do you connect those two dots? Uh, depending on the, uh, I'm actually just going to uh, address that just from the risks themselves because Perfect. compliance compliance wise, it really depends on what your regiments are. And I hate always going to the, it depends compliance answer. Right. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to go ahead and address it just as a, but it really uh, does. I know it, it really, depends. it really does though, but I, I just hate it when the word, those words fall out of my mouth. But um, so let me, let me address that. Like just from the risk based uh, mm-hmm. approach. Um, boots on the ground. I try to take it, um, you know, okay. So now you have that, that risk registry, you have all your risks, uh, uh, outlined there. I try mm-hmm. to like do a little bit of pattern recognition really. 
Um, uh. and, and see if that's the first thing I do is I'll try to like, kind of look at them all as a whole and see what, what stuff is really kind of reoccurring that, uh, and maybe, maybe if you have five, uh, five, you know, five individuals that brought up this similar sounding thing, maybe that's something to dig into. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and prioritize because it's coming up a lot. You know, and that's that's if your company is new to the whole risk register game, that's a good way to slice some things off the top right. because sometimes you will come out with a list. Right. Like the data center team starts to list. report about unpatched servers and you get 27 different reports about unpatched servers. You're like, huh, we have a vulnerability management problem. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, so we'll do that. And then as you go through, so that's like kind of the beginning of your risk uh, register program almost. Mm-hmm. And then as you're like going through it, kind of what I like to do is um, uh, you've heard of maybe like on startups, customer success teams, product, uh, product teams, that sort of thing. Well, they have a thing where they will stack rank um, uh, feature requests from customers sort of a Mm -hmm. deal. Mm -hmm. So I almost take a, uh, I almost kind of do that boots on the ground style, but like with criticality, uh, with criticality in addition to, uh, what's really a common theme here and just keep dwindling it down. If if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And now, now when the compliance journey happens, uh, every good compliance program is going to ask you about your risk register, ideally. Right. I hope so. Yeah. And and you're, you know, you're, you're tying those two in. And even if they don't, you're still going to be asked if you have a risk management effort and you can heartily point to that. And, uh, and ideally even feed some of the compliance questions straight out of the risk register, I think would be another benefit. Right. Yeah, there is, there is definitely, you, you definitely do go ahead and do that. And when you're stacking this up, uh, at least something I do is I'll, I'll take the same questions as if I were the third party coming in to mm. do a risk assessment. Like you're, I'll take those same questions and, uh, and apply it in order to get people interested in a risk register and thinking the right way on identifying what, what really is a risk. I like that. So I'll take like them through that, that exercise once, but we, we would have like, uh, you know, just, just, uh, logistically how I do it is we, there's usually like a, like an actual engine running. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. <clears throat> and what you just described, I'm going to take us all the way back to when I was on y'all's show last week, you just described RGC. Yes, I did. That's right. That's you just <laughs> went risk forward. Were- you just went yeah. risk forward and that's exactly what we're looking for. That's exactly it. I was going to say, and all your compliance regiments are wanting you to do something like that anyway, you know? Yeah. So makes sense. That's, that's it. That's all. Yeah. That's it. All right. Well, we're at 44 minutes. Parting thoughts. Anybody? If you uh, enjoyed hearing from us, you can check us out. Uh, securityweekly.com. We are security and compliance weekly. We broadcast live on Tuesdays, noon to 1 PM Eastern standard time. Yep. And these guys do video and it's live and it's fun. And you should check out the show where they have this awesome guest named Alan Alford. Yeah. If if you've ever wondered what this guy looks like, come over to our show. (laughs) There you go. And at least unless he was throwing his voice, we think we have him on tape. There you go. (laughs) All right. Well, Flea, Kat, Jeff, thank you guys so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. (laughs) 